Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. Crowdfunding is asking you to flip everything you've been taught on its head. It's not about putting your head down, grinding it out, working really hard, and you'll be successful. Crowdfunding says, hey, put your vision out there and ask people to believe in it and not just believe in it, but pay you money for it. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Olivia Owens, creator of iFund Women of Color. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Please leave a five-star rating and a review. All right, everyone. So we've talked a lot about funding, securing funding, what does funding look like? And my personal and professional goal is to make sure that everyone gets the accurate and most appropriate funding that they need for their businesses. So as we continue to make good on that promise, I'm excited to have Olivia Owens, who is the creator and general manager of iFund Women of Color, join us today. iFund Women of Color is a platform for women of color raising capital through crowdfunding, grants, coaching, and the connections needed to launch and grow successful businesses. Before launching iFund Women of Color, her leadership brokered critical partnerships to help scale several businesses from Unilever, Visa, to Adidas. She previously held positions at Under Armour and People and Culture. Olivia was also featured in Forbes 30 Under 30 and Birdie. Olivia, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so honored and grateful to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this one. Well, and it's so serendipitous because we met like during a pandemic and we had all these conversations, but we literally just saw each other in public, I guess about a month ago. <laughs> or Finally. Public, <laughs> COVID friends becoming real life friends. I love it. And I have to thank you because... You know, I recently launched our Brain Trust Founder Studio, and you were really the first person. We were brainstorming all these ideas of how to work together, and you were the first person that really talked it out, um, that got in. And I remember leaving that conversation so excited, calling my mom, like, this woman, Olivia, <laughs> she gets it. She's doing it. And I stayed up and wrote what was the economic inclusion opportunity one-pager that later became Brain Trust Founder Studio, and you were the first person that I shared it with, and you have been absolutely um, supportive and paving the way. So I just, I had to publicly thank you because people don't even know that we're friends. So <laughs> thank you for that. 
You are so welcome. Um, you continue to impress and inspire me every step of the way. Um, and I'm just happy to be a, a viewer on this journey of yours. Oh, thank you, Olivia. Well, let's talk about you because you have created and building something that is so needed and that's so phenomenal. And it's just, it's impressive. And when we think about funding and we think about lack of funding, especially for for women of color, you've really done some groundbreaking work. But it starts with the fact that your mom was also an entrepreneur. So talk to us about the journey, you know, where you've been, um, how you got here, and really what's kept you going all this time. Absolutely, it has been quite the journey, um, and and really does go all the way back to I remember being a little girl, and on the weekends, uh, my weekends looked a little different. I would be going to different expos, different conferences, setting up my mom's book table, um, and helping her sell her books at whatever next speaking event she she was going to, and um, really just watched her take her passion and her purpose of educating Black women on how to build wealth by investing, um, really bring that to life through entrepreneurship. And on the flip side, I, I also watched the really hard uh, path that she had to pay for herself that I, I get to work with women entrepreneurs today, uh, navigate that same path day in and day out. And so uh, I Fund Women was the first tool resource that she found that was actually an accessible path to funding um, after spending years and years pitching to panels of people who didn't look like her, didn't understand the problem that she was trying to solve. I found women, there was there was none of that. It was, okay, let's help you get some funding. And and ultimately she, she went on to raise $30,000 for her business on the platform. And that parallel path and then intersected with my career uh, and moving to New York and wanting wanting to do something different. And, and I landed my first job um, in New York City at iFundWomen as the first hire outside of the co-founders. It's so refreshing to hear that because I think as a mom, I'm constantly like, am I working too much? Like, how do I balance all of this? And so you truly are kind of the epitome of what happens when you see entrepreneurism in your family. But I think it's what you said. It's the passion. It's getting onto a platform, getting that yes, because we often glamorize entrepreneurship, but the reality is that it is hard. And with every success, there is something that can either stop you in your tracks um, or keep you moving forward. And when you talk about this intersection of kind of moving to New York, what was that like for you? Like, did you immediately think I'm gonna go to New York and I'm gonna move into this? Or what was kind of the stepping stone and why New York? It's always been New York in my heart, I think. Um, and I had tried for years and years to, to get there. And I always think it's so funny because timing is everything. And when you try to force it, uh, it usually doesn't materialize. I remember right after I graduated, I wanted to move to New York. I found women didn't even exist at that point. And so that's just such a testament that it really is down to timing. And when I moved to the city, I didn't really have a clear job title company in mind of what I wanted to be doing. I had spent the years prior working really hard in a job that just wasn't fulfilling me in any way. And so when I made this move, it was critical to me that I had a clear uh, purpose in mind and understanding of what I was looking for. And I, I know that I am on this earth to help people become a better version of themselves. And so when I was evaluating different job opportunities, that's the lens that I was looking at it through. And so it allowed me to be really flexible and think outside of the box 
of how that could really manifest. Um, and it happened to manifest in iFundWomen. Um, if you had asked me, would I go into a similar thing that my mom was doing, I probably would have said no. But it's just funny how uh, the universe always has different plans in mind. Um, but it, it couldn't have been more of a perfect fit. I, I found an opportunity where I got to support women with big ideas. Um, and most specifically for me, what's fulfilling about it is helping them realize their own capacity and strengthen their self-belief. That's at the core of what we get to do. And it's it's a never-ending kind of cycle of gratification. Oh my gosh. Oh, so many gems. I love this cycle of gratification. And I also feel so aligned with you, especially when you talk about your purpose and helping people realize, you know, their fullest potential. We can be our own worst enemy, even when people are cheering for us. And sometimes it's that one coach, that one person who can get us to the other side. And even when we talk about this notion of passion, you know, we have so many people saying, I want to start something or I'm trying to figure out what my next role should be. I've been in this company for a long time. And you, it sounds like, knew very early on that you had this passion. And did that passion come from seeing your mom? So much of it is innate, nurture, I guess, versus nature. But how did people lean into their passion? How did you lean into your passion? What can you share to help others who are really trying to determine what that looks like? Sure. I think exposure is everything. I grew up uh, watching my parents both really operate inside of their main skill set. So I watched my dad hit the pinnacle of his career doing exactly what he was meant to do here on this earth and watch other people react to it and be inspired by it. Same thing with my mom. And so being exposed to that made me understand what it looks like to um, really be operating inside of your purpose and in alignment. And then so it gave me the ability to go out and seek that for myself. And I did that by looking closely at how are people responding to me when I'm engaging with them? What are the things that I can tell are really striking a nerve or really adding value? And then how can I go deeper in that thing? Um, I think that your passion and your purpose can be leveraged in so many different ways, but it's got to be in alignment. And that's where you're going to feel the least amount of friction. And so um, it was really having those examples growing up and, and then being brave enough to go seek that out on my own. Oh, being brave enough. It, it's so interesting because we talk about this notion of you're seeing it and you can see it all you want, but it's bravery, courage for me walking in faith that really leads you to say, I'm going to be brave enough to do it. And that bravery, so we talk about iFundWomen, and iFundWomen existed, amazing platform. Karen and the team have done a fantastic job. But then there's this bravery on your part to raise your hand and say, wait a second, we're missing a whole segment of people that need our attention. And so you launched iFundWomen of Color. You're the general manager. Talk about that conversation because we often think about entrepreneurs. I like to talk about being an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur is someone who sees an opportunity, seizes it, and creates something within a structure that exists, which is exactly what you did. So what was that like for you? And how did you get that yes um, to say, now we're gonna, you're going to run and operate iPhone Women of Color? 
I think it goes back to that alignment piece. I I knew that the team that I was surrounded by at iFund Women was in alignment with me in my values um, and in my passion. And so when we identified a funding disparity on the platform, we recognized that women of color make up 70% of the women in our community, but only 30% of the funds being raised. And the 70% number is not surprising because we know out of the 1,800 new businesses started in, in this country every day, 89 of those are started by women of color. So it matches the trend for sure. Um, but then when we look at that 30% number, we also know that these disparities play out across pretty much every system that exists out there. And I think the beauty of iFund Women um, are, we got started because we wanted to solve this problem. And, and so it we also know that there are nuances and levels to that. And so um, we knew that we weren't going to let this stand on our watch. And, and we knew that we have access to our community. We know their pain points. We know the challenges. Um, but we also know that crowdfunding is a tool that can be leveraged effectively. So how do we bring those two things together and, and get women of color off the sidelines from crowdfunding and get them actually leveraging it so they can push their businesses forward? And, and was it because, you know, there's been so much talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how do we as an organization, you know, tackle that? And I like how you talk so much about the alignment, right? You went to iFund Women because you saw the success of it personally. You were aligned in terms of your purpose and values and what the platform does. And then to your point, when you looked at the stats, so was it that, we see this, why don't we just create a program? And you know, a lot of it is, we'll do a program, we'll do a campaign, but then you launched an entirely new division. And so as you were doing that in your mind, did you say, I know that of course you thought it was gonna be successful, but what were some of the challenges in trying to take such a big platform and then lean into diversity so heavily? Because you could have just said, we're gonna create a program, I'm gonna be the captain, I'm going to make sure, but to create something so phenomenal, what was that process like? What were the challenges? What were the wins early on? So in looking at this, and uh, we've talked about this before, and I think when you approach a, a problem like a funding disparity, it's really understanding what is causing the problem and being willing to address that directly. It's not just that we want to drive more funding on our platform and therefore um, women of color are an opportunity to be able to do that. We were willing to start at square one of what this looks like, regardless of the immediate return on the investment. Um, and so we also, I remember being very anxious about rolling out iFund Women of Color and, and getting the question, well, why does it need to be separate? Why isn't iFund Women just inherently iFund Women of Color? Um, and I agonized over that for about a year. And then our first year uh, data came out and we moved the needle on our cumulative funding volume. Women of Color now represent 51% of the funds raised on our platform. And so I let that stat speak for itself. I no longer feel any need to answer that question. And I think, again, if you want to actually solve the problem, start at square one. And at square one, we knew we needed to bring women of color together. We needed to talk through um, those anxieties, those fears, um, those myths, those doubts in a safe space, and then work together to understand what um, forward movement looks like, what progression looks like with them in the center of the conversation. 
Oh, that is so crucial. So many times it's, I'm going to do this because I have a staff, but not putting the true people in the center and then listening. And you do, because to your point, 51%, you can't deny that. We are now the majority, as it were. And, but at the same time, you have to continue to keep evolving and growing. And so one of the things I love about iPhone Women of Color is that you provide so much in terms of support, right? It's not just come on and take your money and leave. You've really built a system that wraps around the women so that they can understand how to do it and they can truly be at the center. And when did you kind of say, you know, it's going to take more than just the money piece of it, but we have to wrap around and do all of these pieces? Because I think that's what makes it so special. That's what came first. That uh, community support was the first thing that we launched because I had been coaching entrepreneurs since day one on crowdfunding. So not only did we have the quantitative data to back it up, but I also had the qualitative understanding of hearing on my coaching calls like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Um, and, and so bringing that conversation out of the shadows um, and having it out loud and getting that emotional validation that you are not alone in these feelings at all. Um, however, also providing examples of people who look like you who have done it. I think when we look at what the definition of a successful business is based on the stories that are told in the media, it's lopsided. We're, we're told that a successful business is a business that has raised X millions of dollars, but we also know that the the fact that only 1% of business owners, regardless of their gender, raise venture capital. So how there is just a fundamental uh, flaw in what we define as a su successful business. And, and so it's having those conversations to um, even break down the idea of what you think you need to be um, and define for yourself what you want to be. Um, and then put yourself in front of people who are right there alongside of you doing it, people who are a little bit further along who have done it and, and pouring into each other and leveraging each other to, to get further faster. So I really, um, I like this notion of community and starting there because so much is to your point, the, this metrics of success that is not, it's not relevant to everyone. Everyone has to figure out what does success look like for me? And I love how you start there at the center because I think the biggest thing is you go into it and you're looking at what everybody else is doing and how you stack up, how you compare, how much money you've raised. And that puts us in this weird cycle of raising to raise, but not raising to build and generate prosperity and wealth. And so one of the things that you talk about is understanding success and also coaching founders. So when you tie the two together, what were some of the biggest things or hurdles that founders were kind of using to hold them back from launching? And how did you dovetail that into preparing them for success? There are a few things. The first one being crowdfunding requires you to leverage your network. And if you don't feel like you have a network to turn to, it can feel like an inaccessible tool. And so, okay, how do we build our networks? What, what does that look like? And um, it doesn't mean you need to have 5,000 people, but it does mean you need to build a network very intentionally. You need a network of 
people who are your customers. Um, if you can't find your customers before your product or service exists, it's not likely that you'll be able to find them after the product or service exists. So how are we really intentionally building our networks for that? How are we building our networks for potential partners who, whether they're strategic partners or potential investors, how are we thinking thoughtfully about that before we even need to make any type of ask? Um, so that it, it we are really building value-driven relationships and we don't feel like we just have to turn to our friends and family who maybe don't have um, the, the wealth to invest in us in that way. Um, so I think that that's one thing. It's how do we build up our networks? The other big obstacle was making the ask. Crowdfunding is asking you to flip everything you've been taught on its head. It's not about putting your head down, grinding it out, working really hard, and you'll be successful. Crowdfunding says, hey, put your vision out there and ask people to believe in it and not just believe in it, but pay you money for it. And instantly <laughs> that brings you to this space of, oh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so it's a acknowledging that 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 is a very natural reaction and understanding the cultural impact there, um, the class impact there. Um, and and again, having very vulnerable, honest conversations about that, but then also mindset shifts. I think so much of really what I do is help entrepreneurs accomplish mindset shifts and repositioning um, what it is that we're doing here. So for example, when it comes to crowdfunding, you're not asking for charity or donations for your business. You are selling a product, service, content experience of value in exchange for cash for your business. People buy things every day. Um, they have Amazon showing up on their doorstep every day. Um, so why couldn't you put a product or service in front of them that adds value for them to be the purchase? And, and so it's really leaning into to that exchange of value versus the ask and just making that mindset shift that instantly it's like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And, and so how can, we, how can we do more of that and really multiply it? These are such great tips, um, tips for crowdfunding, but tips just in general as an entrepreneur. And I love this notion of networking, right? And talking about the intentionality of it and consumers and customers and how you bring them in. Because I know in talking to people that that's kind of the number one thing that you addressed is like, but do I have a network? And I really think that we all have different networks. We have to kind of tap into them. We have to pay attention. We have to do our homework and see how those networks are going to fit in if we are trying to crowdfund. And then the second thing you said, making the ask, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's, it's the hardest thing, asking for help. And also this notion of value exchange. I think that that third piece you talked about, the mindset shift. And even as you were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, because we're fundraising right now. And it is, it's, you have to be vulnerable but you also have to know that the product service that you're selling is so valuable that people want to be part of it, right? They, they, you have to position it in a way and you have to get your mind right because you're going to be front. You're going to tap your network. That's what we've been building our whole careers, honestly. It may not have been so front and center. I'm going to meet you so I can call you later. But the organic nature of the way that business works, the way that businesses are built and succeed is all about us networking in community together. And so you've really kind of broke it down into three steps that are helpful. And how do you connect the dots in terms of the art of the pitch? Because once you've done these three and you kind of figure out, okay, this is a value exchange, my mind is right, my network is there, 
what is this art of the pitch that you help the founders prepare in order to put all of that to good practice? Absolutely. The pitch is where we start with everyone. Being able to clearly and concisely deliver your message is critical. I can't tell you how many times I ask a founder, okay, uh, tell me about your business. And they'll start with, well, five years ago, I was here and I had this problem and I'll be a minute in and still not know what their business is. Um, and I think that we are living in a time where people are so expectant of the information that they're receiving to be hyper curated to their interests. They're not willing to sort through and figure out why this is relevant to me. They need to know immediately why. And so um, it's so much the structure of the pitch that I think is critical and then humanizing it. It, it needs to be authentic to you. I, I, I by no means want to dilute that. It's so, so often it's just restructuring. It's like, okay, this needs to go first, then talk about this. We have a pitch script template um, that we we use with our entrepreneurs and it's taking what they've put together in their mind and structuring it in a way that is engaging, draws um, draw someone in, speaks to a wide array of people, making sure you're not using industry jargon. So if you're talking to somebody from outside of your industry, they're tuning out because they have no idea what that acronym stands for. Um, or um, understanding, okay, maybe your target customers are moms, but what do you do when, when you have dads in the room? How are you positioning it for them? Or people who don't have kids, how are you positioning it for them? Um, or are those the people you need to be talking to? Is that going to get you where you need to go? So there's there's a lot of nuance to the pitch. You're going to have multiple versions of it based on who you're talking to. Um, but I think the other piece of it is just making sure you're delivering it with confidence. People are followers. They, they do something after they see somebody else doing it. And so if you're delivering your pitch with hesitance, um, they're going to be hesitant about you. Um, and so just being really comfortable. And I think it goes back to believing that what you are bringing to the world is valuable. If you believe that, then you need to present it in that light so that people can get access to that value. Oh, my goodness. I love this confidence, building confidence, understanding the art of the pitch. Um, it is it, it, it requires a skill. But I do think that the more you practice, like I love the founders who are like, I'm practicing my business. I'm studying my business. I'm truly in it because it is like all of our attention spans are moving so fast. We get things so quickly. And while we want to tell the story, it's let me punch and get right in. And then we can always come back and tell the story. But I know, you know, having pitching, you, you always feel like I'm missing something or they need to know and being able to really censor yourself, but to have the confidence that you really believe and you know what you're talking about. And even if you don't know all the answers, we always say, don't try and flub your way through it, especially not when you're trying to raise money because due diligence is serious and real. It is better to be confident in your product and to say, I'll get back to you than trying to navigate and work your way through something that is just not accurate. And I've had founders say that, like they've been in the middle of these meetings and they're not really sure how to recover. What feedback do you give when you practice, you're in the pitch, and now you're kind of unsure of what to do next or where to go? How do you bring it back around? Yeah, I think you go into a I think you go you need to go into every pitch with a clear ask. Um, I think that's how you bring it around every single time it's and here's how you can get involved and here's how you can support and here's how you can um, help push us forward. I think that's one piece, but uh, I think it also humanizes you. It's, it's, you know, that's an 
awesome question. And I've thought about that a little bit, but it's not my unique expertise. And that's why I'm looking for strategic partners who can come in and really help me level up. That's why I'm looking to hire somebody of this level. Um, I think that particularly investors are looking for founders who know how to solve problems, not founders who have the answer to everything. And so if you can show that you're able to even identify your weaknesses or identify where you're not as strong, but but know how to fill that gap, that's that's somebody that I want to get behind because you're not somebody that gets paralyzed by a problem. Um, you understand that there will always be new challenges, new obstacles, things that you don't know, um, and you're along for that ride. I love that answer. And you've just given, I think everyone's like writing it down, like, I'm going to say that. That's going to be the exact thing I'm going to use. And use the script. Use the script and stick with the script. Like, it's very formulaic in that regard. So I love this notion of dating before marriage, especially whenever you're thinking about bringing people into the company. And I think that it's important at all levels, whether it's your assistant, whether it's a co-founder or a partner. And for me personally, as you were talking, I was like, oh my goodness, I was doing the steps that you're advising and not even realizing it. You know, with my first company, I had a co-founder and then we brought on another co-founder. And then my second company, Brain Trust, I didn't have a co-founder, um, really trying to navigate between my experience with my first company, my second company. But as we started growing Brain Trust Founder Studio and moving into this traditional venture fund model, um, I knew I was in over my head and as much courage and vision as I have, I knew that I needed support. And so Lisa Stone, who's joined as our co-founder, you know, I feel like I was dating her, I guess, for 20 years because we had done business together. But when it came time, in your words, to get married, you know, we spent a lot of time together um, going through different questions about the business and the outcomes that we wanted and how we were going to get there. Because to your point, you can have great vision but if neither one of you is executing, then it doesn't quite get you to the end goal. And so spending those hours, like 20 something questions, answering them honestly, being vulnerable, which is something that you also brought up. I think that that's what made the foundation um, of our relationship. So I appreciate you saying that because sometimes we want to, you know, we want to go so fast to hire. The best advice I got was hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> yes, exactly. So let's shift a little bit because you talk about the numbers and the increases. Um, we've also just come and getting to the other side of the pandemic. And when we think about, you know, the fact that women make up half of the world's population, but they only hold 40% of the jobs, and that in 2020, women were making 82 cents for every dollar men were, were making, those are all things that you've talked about. I know we were on a panel together and then you were just on the Make It Make Sense panel and you talked a lot about gender pay, equality, financial stability, and salary. So how has the how have these stats, a pandemic, but the growth that you're seeing, how does that kind of all play together and how are you solving for it? Ooh, uh, we just threw out some big systemic uh, <laughs> challenges, but I, but I think I think the best way to approach it, and when I think about when we first looked at the numbers, um, feeling like we were standing at the bottom of a mountain, looking up, and and just how do we even begin to start to chisel away at this? And I think it's just starting somewhere. I think it's. Um, advocating in, in a moment um, and, and not 
devaluing the impact of that. So even if it's you get asked to speak on a panel and you look at the other panelists and you realize there's zero diversity from a gender um, or an ethnicity perspective, pulling yourself out and throwing somebody else's name um, into the ring. And what that does is it doesn't even just give somebody else an opportunity, but it holds that person who built that panel in that structure accountable. Um, and, and and ideally, they don't move forward in that direction again. Or um, it's when you go to hire for your own business, when um, you set aside a budget and you know that somebody is under valuing themselves. It's not just trying to get a quick buck um, and, and save some money. It's saying, hey, um, when you come into these situations, you need to negotiate for yourself. And and being that, um, again, that advocate, that ally um, to help somebody, because at the end of the day, we don't know what we don't know. And it can be really, really difficult to close a gap if you don't even understand that you're a victim of it. And so I think, again, yeah. it, it's it's having very open conversations. It's building that support system around yourself so that you can watch other people go through it, hear their mistakes, not make the same mistakes over again. Um, and something else that I talk about is even before the system, I think we've been sold this scarcity fallacy uh, that there can only be one of us. If you if you get your product on the shelf, uh, hold on to it tight. Um, and don't don't share how you got there because it might be taken from you. Or um, if you're building a beauty business, can't talk to any other beauty founders because um, they're my competition. Um, and and that's us cutting ourselves out before the system even has the opportunity to. And the reality is we've talked about this a little bit today. The way the system works is people are leveraging each other to get further faster. And we need to do that for ourselves and break down this scarcity idea that we've been sold. Oh my gosh. Break down this scarcity idea that we've been sold. That is it. Like we can't approach it through this competitive lens of you're doing it. So I can't share, I can't talk. And I think that that's really the beauty of being a founder, right? Because what, what separates the brands are the passion and the purpose that the founder has, why they created it, why it's unique, what that special story is. And I think when, when we, and you said it, like, if you don't know, then you don't know that you're a victim of it. And I think th from the stories coming out of COVID, so many black founders had the opportunity to step out and to show who they are and to tell their story and to talk about their grandmothers and their great grandmothers in a way that we hadn't seen before because it wasn't celebrated in the way that it should be. And so we were counting ourselves out for this beautiful purpose and story that we had because we were just so concerned about being able to move forward. And so now the beauty is that we don't have to cut ourselves out. We can stand in our truth. And I think it's important to support each other because if we're not going to do it, we already know other people aren't. And if you pit people against each other, which we could do a whole other podcast about, you know, Martin Luther <laughs> King and Malcolm X, but we're going to keep going. Um, and we've seen it in history. So we need to do better and we need to be different.
We do. And that's not to say that we are solely responsible for um, addressing all systemic issues ourselves by no means. Um, But it's how are we making sure we're not playing into the problem? Um, I think that's big. And then also, how are we holding people accountable? But I also think the scarcity fallacy keeps us from getting in the game, keeps us from moving forward. We look, we have this idea, we have this passion, but we look around and so many other people are already doing it. Um, And so we're just like, you know what? It's not for me, but it's like you have a value to bring to this world and um, there's space. There's so much space. Um, And I think we keep getting told that there's not. Um, But then we keep seeing examples of how there is. We thought Instagram was was the (laughs) end all be all. And now TikTok is here to stay. And so it's um, be TikTok, Uh, bring a different energy, bring a different vibe and bring your own um, unique lens and purpose and value to it. And your crowd will come. I love that. I love I love be TikTok. That's going to be our new like on all of our shirts. Um, so I want to talk about this notion of passion, right? We started the conversation there. I want to bring it back there. And it is it is what drives us, what fuels us to your point, understanding that and aligning with that pushes you to be TikTok. So you talk about two passions. You talk about entrepreneurship and you talk about mental health. And mental health continues to come up for everyone, but in particular, founders and entrepreneurs and feeling as though you're carrying kind of the weight of the world. So when you talk about those being your two passions, how are you supporting yourself when it comes to mental health? Because in your role as a coach, as an advisor, as a general manager, you're giving so much to others. And then you're taking so much of that in that I can only imagine, you know, what it does for your mental health. I think every time I talk to a founder, I want to stay up and figure out how to help them. But the more we do that, we don't refill ourselves. So talk about these two passions of yours, how they're intertwined, and then how you balance. Mm, uh, I think it falls to the bottom of the list. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are type A perfectionists uh, who are workhorses and are willing to put their all into something to to allow it to be successful. And I think it goes back to what does success mean to you? Does it mean that your business makes a lot of money? Does it mean that you have the time to uh, take your kids to school and pick them up every day? Does it mean you have the ability to go to the recital or you have the ability to take vacations? Like what does success mean to you? And then map backwards from there for yourself. I think that's critical. And then um, I think another piece of it is evaluating what you're prioritizing. Because I think in our heads, we have an idea of what our our priorities are. (laughs) But then if we actually make a list of where we're spending our time, there's often a mismatch. And then that creates a disalignment, which creates friction, which creates stress, burnout, overwhelm, uh, depression. And so it's it's that level of honesty with yourself um, and, and being able to deprioritize and, and potentially let something go um, that doesn't mirror what you've decided success means for you. Uh, and that may be taking a non-traditional path. Um, but on a personal level, um, for me, it is forever a work in progress. Um, I think that what I've defined success as for this season of my life, because I think that's the, the other thing, there are seasons. Uh, your priority right now may not be your priority in a year, but what is your priority right now? And for me, my priority is um, 
doing the things that I love. And I am that workhorse. I am that person that could work from morning to sun, like tonight, um, and not even blink an eye because I actually enjoy it. I'm one of those strange people that just enjoys to work, but I also know that I also love to connect with people. I love to build and deepen my friendships. I love to, um, get out and, and try different restaurants. And so I've made that a priority of, okay, it's, it's six o'clock. I'm out. Um, I don't need to check the email. There's not that level of doom and priority. If I get to it tomorrow, it'll be okay. Um, and having those honest conversations with myself. And then I think the biggest lesson that I learned in the last year is it's one thing to have a support system. It's another thing to actually use it. And I think that a lot of us have built support systems around ourselves and we're like, okay, we're good. We have our support system. We're moving along. But when's the last time you used it? When's the last time you, you called that person and, and you said, hey, I'm really struggling and, and you let them pour into you or, or whatever it is. So I think it's also measuring, okay, you've built this support system, but how, how often are you really using it? Wow. That is <clears throat> so many things. Um, I think that this notion of being in a season of your life and prioritizing against that, um, using your support system, I think when we connect the two, you know, we've been taught, like, put your goals together. Where are you going to be in five years and 10 years? And if we've learned anything, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it actually, like, so many things happen and so many pivots and the world can change and we lose people and so it really is being okay with this is the season. Let me reprioritize and focus on where I am now and finding that balance. I'm like you. I love to work. I love my family. I love my friends. I do, but I also love to work. It's fun for me. I enjoy it. And so it is this balance of when do you stop so that you don't get so lost that you miss the opportunity to truly connect. And even I was, I was talking to a really good um, friend. And we were saying like, wow, we know all these people, but who do you call when you're writing the Dear John letter of I'm out? And how do you express that when everyone's expecting you to be, you know, holding it together? And we agreed that we were going to send a text with a, spe with a special code. We came up with a code um, that was, we don't even have to go into it, but you just know that someone else is thinking about you. And I think that to your point, we work so hard to, to building these relationships, but then when you actually need it, you're paralyzed and you can't even tap into it. So forcing ourselves to do that. I, I'm so happy that you said that we actually haven't had that conversation of it's one thing to have, it's another to use. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I think the, the other piece that I'll say is, uh, one of my favorite quotes from Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, is there's no such thing as one-way liberation. When we free ourselves, we inherently free the people around us. And um, if other people see you prioritizing what's right for you and saying no, then they, they can see that they can do that for themselves. When other people see you um, leveraging your support system, leaning on them, they it gives them permission to do that for themselves. And so even understanding how it's not a selfish act, you're opening up opportunity for other people on the other side as well. I love that. Oh my gosh, it's not selfish. It's <laughs> not at all. Um, so as we wrap up, we're going to do these fun rapid fires um, that Candace has been putting together. And I love them. They're a lot of fun. So I'm going to ask you three statements and then you just have to finish them. No right or wrong answers. It's just your first reaction. So the biggest fear I have heard from a person crowdfunding is... What if I hear no? 
Ooh, that's great. Okay. You are only ready for coaching when you get started. Okay, last one. Authentic connections have these two things. Mm, an exchange of value and an alignment of value. Ooh, oh my gosh, these are so great. Okay, so the biggest fear I've heard from a person crowdfunding is what if I hear no? That is so true. And that's what we've talked about earlier. Put yourself out there, be vulnerable. And then you are ready for coaching when you get started. And you said that the hardest thing is pulling the trigger, like trigger, getting outside of ourselves and like moving. And then authentic connections have these two things, exchange of value and alignment of value. That's truly the holy grail of community, friendships, relationships. So I love that game. And as we close out, we always ask our guests, what's one brand that you're excited about? I know you have lots of babies and children that you're coaching and working with, but one brand that we should check out. Ooh, very good question. Um, I am such a huge fan of a founder, Shannon Maldonado, based in Philly. She is a brand called Yowie, um, and she is just... She goes against the grain in everything that she does and stays true to herself and, and has such a clear vision of what she wants to bring into this world. And um, I'm consistently inspired by her. So definitely check out Yowie. Yowie. Can you spell that for us? Yes. Y-O-W-I-E. Fantastic. Yowie. We will all check that out. Olivia, this has just been such a great time together. I just... Uh, your 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 knowledge, your insight, your willingness to share and the support and the passion, it's all just so authentic and rings true. And that's why you're doing the work that you're doing. And it's just an honor to be sharing space with you. And thank you, because it's a lot. You're caring a lot. But without you, we wouldn't have this amazing platform to specifically support women of color, give them the voice and the platform to get the funding and coaching that they need. So thank you. Thank you. We could, I could do this for hours with you. Um, but thank you so much for having me. Thank you for amplifying the work that we're doing. And um, again, excited to be on this journey together. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks so much to Olivia. Make sure that you check out Shannon from Hello Yowie. That's H-E-L-L-O-Y-O-W-I-E on Instagram. And the brand is called Yowie. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is to remember authentic connections have these two things, an exchange of value and alignment of value. So as you're thinking about your connections, remember exchange of value and alignment of value. So as always, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode and we love to hear from you. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, 
Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.